This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, May 9th, 2014. I'm Caleb Brown. You've broken these laws many times, and you'll do it again. The U.S. system of copyrights is out of step with custom, but since the laws are rarely enforced, is it really a problem? Tom Bell argues in his book, Intellectual Privilege, Copyright, Common Law, and the Common Good, that copyright reform is needed now more than ever. With respect to copyright in the United States, there's this tension between what is well-established custom with respect to all sorts of creative works. Internet memes are very popular. And on the other side of that, you have the letter of the law that says most of these things are illegal and punishable. So what do we do to resolve that tension? Well, I agree that uh, there is this tension in U.S. copyright law. Much of what we take as matter of course is copyright infringing, strictly speaking. What do we do about that? In practice, we ignore copyright law, uh, but we do that at our peril. I think it's not good public policy where most of us every day are, in theory, susceptible to hundreds of thousands of dollars in damages. Long term, what we ought to do is reconfigure copyright law. I'm afraid right now there's not much prospect of that, but simply raising consciousness about this very unpleasant circumstance ought to help reforms. How do we get to where we are? Basically, public choice pressures. Uh, It's lobbying. There is uh, certain people, parties, lobbyists who benefit from powerful copyright who frankly, you know, have their own interests in mind more than the interests of the public. And that's reflected in the statutes. The lobby that goes to Congress and says, hey, protect we citizens from overreaching laws, is, it's not there. Why not? Why isn't it there? Well, it's a classic public choice problem. You have concentrated benefits and diffuse costs combined with overweening state power. I mean, that's why the federal government has grown in general. Copyright is just one little example of that larger problem. It's especially salient because it's in our faces in a way that, say, farm subsidies aren't. But, you know, across the boards, uh, everywhere, uh, you see concentrated benefits. Here it's the copyright lobby, diffuse costs, the liability that you and I risk, and, you know, too much state power, and that's the result. For the most part, the copyright lobby, as you describe it, they don't enforce as strictly as they could. That is, they couldn't. They could not. Uh, the law enforcement doesn't enforce these laws nearly as much as they could. That's right. Well, there's both public and private enforcement potentially. I mean, you can have criminal actions brought by public enforcement officers and then private actions by private litigators. And it's true, they don't. And again, it's the same uh, sort of scenario you see across the boards with regard to the federal government. In many respects, you and I, I can certainly speak for myself, we're felons every day. And no, they don't enforce the law to the hilt, and it's a good thing they don't. But that's not the kind of world we want to live in. Because why? Because then the officials, they have us, you know, anytime they decide they want to crack down, we violated some law somewhere. It's true in copyright. It's true across the board. You said that there is no struggle really from the public. There's no broad-based public fight against this. I don't. I don't. I guess I don't buy the idea that uh, there isn't a uh, a large group of people that are very interested in reform. Maybe it's because most of the people I deal with are people who are. Uh, digging through other people's intellectual property all the time. So where is the effort then to engage in reform? Well, I think I think you're right, Caleb, to question that. I mean, it's a question of degree, really. I'll say that the lobby, such as it is for the rights of every one of us to uh, 
freely use the our their tools that we have on our desks is just not very efficacious. There's some librarians out there that care about access to the public domain. There are a few people who are aware of the problem and lobby about it. There's a, kind of a, an inch deep awareness across the whole of the internet, as I think uh, it was uh, demonstrated by the protests against SOPA, PIPA. But it's just right now not been an effective counterweight to the very powerful concentrated interests that push for more and more copyright restrictions. Who are the leaders of the sort of pro-copyright lobby? I guess I'd put there the MPAA and the RIAA, the Motion Picture Alliance uh, of America, the Recording Industry Alliance of America. And, you know, they're doing what lobbyists are supposed to do. They're looking out for their clients' interests. And we could question whether, in fact, they are serving their clients' interests by pushing for more and more copyright. I think you could argue if they push too hard, things will break in a bad way for them. But um, that would be a hard argument to convince them on. So basically, it lines their pockets to restrict our liberties. That's the way copyright works. When the Constitution was written, copyright would likely expire within your lifetime. Oh, yes. And now we're at what exactly in terms of how long copyright extends? Well, I, I, I'll say it's even more modest than that, what the founders had in mind. The maximum copyright term under the 1790 Copyright Act, 1790, so the, the people who passed that were the founders basically, was 28 years. Now, lifespans were shorter then, but that's much shorter than even then the lifespans of authors. And now, well, it depends on the work, but it's basically for individuals, life of the author, really death of the author, plus 70 years. If you're talking about a young author, say, creates something at 30, lives until they're 70, you're talking about over 100 years protection versus the 28 maximum under the founders. It's a different regime for uh, works created by corporations like Disney. There, it could last up to 120 years. But in any event, you're looking at over 100 years easily versus 28 years to the founders. What are some institutions that have been created, if not to directly uh, butt up against the copyright laws as they exist, attempting to create a space where there is a broader domain of uh, assets, if you will, that people can make use of. I'm a big fan of Wikipedia Commons. In fact, I give money to them because I just so like what they do. And they have collected and made accessible to all of us on the internet uh, public domain materials. So when I prepare, for example, PowerPoints and I need images, I go to Wikipedia Commons. Also Creative Commons, and I give them money too. I'm a big fan of theirs. Don't worry, I donate to Cato as well. Uh, <laughs> and the uh, Creative Commons basically makes it easier for people to kind of cut and paste licensing terms that work for them and that are less restrictive than your standard off-the-shelf default terms. So both of those organizations and others have done work to raise awareness about the restrictions copyright imposes, and, and, and they're trying to find alternatives. When I think the broad public thinks about uh, copyright violations, they are probably most familiar with uh, maybe bootlegs of recordings, uh, DVDs, that, that type of thing. But a lot of people want to make use of just very limited pieces of, of works or uh, sounds that probably ought to be in, in the public domain or at least create a sort of a fair use for, for those things. It seems almost that our copyright system is something that either by design or accident discriminates against small creators without attorneys who 
then understand various terms of licensing. Oh, there's so many problems with the system when you talk about the little guys versus the big guys. I mean, with regard to artists and authors, they're often trotted out with these dog and pony shows when we have congressional hearings about protecting the little guy, but the copyright laws are not written to protect the little guy. And why so? Because basically, if you don't register your copyright pretty quickly after you first make your work publicly available, Big players can take your work and make money off of it, and you'll never see a dime. I work with copyright attorneys that tell me sob story after sob story. Genius creates a song, goes and performs it at a coffee house. Somebody at a big recording uh, company makes copies, and yeah, you can sue them, but you don't get much money, so it's not worth your while. It also works against little guys who are trying to use copyrighted works. They wonder, I get these emails all the time, I want to use a snippet of this song for the birthday video I want to paste on Facebook for my son. Is that fair use? And I have to tell them first, I'm not going to give you legal advice, but secondly, you know, nobody knows. Why don't you just go litigate and, uh, oh, you don't want to litigate with Sony. I see why. Well, I guess you'll have to play it safe, you know, if, if you don't want to run the risk that you've misjudged the scope of fair use. And fair use is so fuzzy, it's very hard to say whether or not it's authorized. I've heard it argued, Lawrence Lessig perhaps made this argument that uh, for works that are orphaned, that is copyright exists, but nobody has, has claimed it in a really long time, make renewal of that copyright a penny. Mm -hmm. uh, and that would immediately push a whole lot of orphaned works into the public domain. What kinds of other like low-hanging fruit are there that can make our copyright system more rational? Well, I actually think that's a good idea, and reforms have been put forward along those lines. And again, I think that would kind of return us to the Founders' Copyright. Under the Founders' Copyright, you had an initial term of 14 years, and you had to renew to get the second 14. But I'm not sure I'd call that low-hanging fruit, because why? Because the United States is a signatory to the Berne Convention. And that basically forbids imposing formalities, at least on foreign authors. So if lawmakers were interested, they could impose formalities on domestic authors, disadvantaging them relative to foreign authors uh, with regard to whom Byrne forbids these kinds of formalities. So, I mean, I have to say, Caleb, it's not clear to me that's low-hanging fruit. I, in the book, Intellectual Privilege, I do suggest some statutory reforms, which are actually quite subtle. The way they work, I actually think of them as kind of legal jujitsu. It's a little difficult to summarize those quickly, but I do think there's some easy ways to tweak the statute that will encourage copyright holders to stop relying so much on their copyright privileges and move over to a regime where they rely more on contract and other common law rights. And I think long term, that's where we want to be. We basically want to get the federal government, insofar as we can, out of the business of regulating expressive works. When you think about it, it's quite shocking. We have this extensive federal regime that regulates all manner of expressive works in this country. And we have that right next to the First Amendment. Now, I think there's a lot of tension there, even contradiction. So we basically want to, as with regard to farm subsidies and so many other federal programs, get the government out of this and let the market take over. And that's what these statutory reforms I've suggested would do. You said uh fair use, that no one knows what it is. Why don't we know what it is? It's a multi-factor test, um, and basically you have to decide each case on its facts. Now, it's clear. I mean, it's on a spectrum. You can present facts where you take, you know, one second of a two-hour film and it's in an educational broadcast, and you can pretty much say that's fair use, but it's on a spectrum, and most things fall in the big fuzzy middle, so you're already uncertain. And getting it wrong can be terribly expensive. Even if you win your lawsuit, you have to pay huge attorney's fees to prove your innocence. So very few people knowingly risk it. 
Most people don't even know they're running the risk. <laughs> they might get a nasty letter and they go, oh my gosh, I made a mistake. But you know, people who know anything about copyright and are risk averse, just steer clear of even getting close to the line. That's a smart thing to do. And it shuts down a lot of speech that would otherwise happen. Do you think there's a broader recognition now uh, that the copyright system is messed up given like how many people have access to YouTube, how many people are recording uh, you know, their own surroundings and passing by hmm. uh, works copyrighted by others and sometimes find themselves subject to claims on, on YouTube by copyright holders? You know, it's hard for me to judge. You ask whether or not uh, more people are aware of the problems of the copyright system. Uh, because I'm so involved in it, uh, I'm not a good person to ask. Uh, it, it may be the reverse. I'll just say that the problems are becoming more salient to people who are have their eyes open. Because as you noted, I mean, now, much more so than in the past, every one of us, every day, is essentially publishing and republishing works on the internet. Every one of us who does anything online. And think back to the 1950s. I mean, just people didn't do it. They didn't even have access to photocopiers. So now, Basically, every one of us every day is bumping up against these laws. If people aren't getting more aware, they may <laughs> become more aware. Perhaps they'll get a very nasty uh, wake-up call when they realize, oh, I've been violating the law for all these years, and it felt natural and good, and I you know, wasn't hurting anybody. Something's messed up here. So that could happen. I hope it does. What, is the legislative, what are the legislative prospects of reform in the next few years? Well, uh, I live thousands of miles from D.C., and I'm very happy there, so I don't follow these things very closely. But I have a sense, though, that not much has changed except, except the SOPA-PIPA debacle demonstrated to lawmakers that, you know, they don't have carte blanche anymore, that people are starting to notice that copyright gets in their way, the things they want to do online, and they vote. Maybe they don't have an effective lobby, but they vote. And when Wikipedia put up black pages, wow, that resulted in a lot of phone calls and emails to lawmakers. So I think there's maybe some sign that lawmakers are facing resistance, and I hope that makes them slow down and deliberate. For so many years, it's just been more copyright, more copyright, more copyright. Finally, maybe the public is starting to put the brakes on that process. I hope so. Tom Bell is author of Intellectual Privilege, Copyright, Common Law, and the Common Good. You can watch a forum for the book at Cato.org.